Mm-mm. Our scripture reading today is from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 7, verses 13 through 20. Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction, and those who enter by it are many. For the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life, and those who find it are few. Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will recognize them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, you will recognize them by their fruits. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thank you, Tom. Well, good morning again. Uh, you might have been expecting to see Nathan Boyette. Um, I'm not. Nathan, I'm Harrison. I'm one of the other pastors here at EP. Nathan is home with his family and that um, kind little intruder known as COVID. Uh, so be in prayer for Nathan, Hansoon, and their kids. They're on the other side of it and, um, uh, and, and doing well, getting healthier and stronger. So but keep praying for them, if you would, please. Uh, pray also uh, for me. I was not wrestling with COVID. I'm all negative on that stuff. I've just been wrestling with a spring cold of bronchitis. So let's hope that a preacher can keep his voice for a little while this morning, right? I don't want to see anybody going, no, I'm not praying for that. <laughs> let's go to our Father in prayer, can we? Father, you're good to us. You're always, 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 always good. Thank you for that, Father. Lord, thank you for being trustworthy. And you always have been, uh, and you always will be, and you are today. Fathers, we open up your word uh, on this Sabbath. Lord, we thank you for the privilege of doing that. We also pray that you would open up our hearts. Lord, that you would transform us. Lord, that you would dive straight down, that you would break open the hard places in our heart and, and dive to the middle of it all. Lord, transform us and make us like you your glory, Lord, for our blessing. For, Lord, that's where the good is, where the blessing is, is when we're walking close to you, transformed by the Holy Spirit. Father, do so even now, in Jesus, amen. We're, we're in that, that place in the Sermon on the Mount where um, it's, it's turned another corner, Sermon on the Mount does that. Um, and um, in this place, Jesus is diving into uh, really three different application points, okay? He's given us the whole sermon, and it's not just little bits and pieces, it's one big sermon. And now he's going to dive into three application points where he's going to say, okay, you've heard all that I've said, now what are you going to do with it? 
And then next week when Pastor Jim opens it up, you're going to hear the same thing. Uh, Jesus has has told him all these things, now what are you going to do with it? And then Pastor Nathan's going to close it out on June 5th with the same same thing as he talks about uh, building your house on the rock or the sand. This morning he talks about a gate, uh, he talks about a road, a way, and he talks about the, the, the struggles of, of false prophets. And one of the things that, that I think of when I read this passage is I wonder why Jesus keeps going to all this trouble. If he knows that the things he says to these people, uh, and these people were made up of his disciples, those that were not yet his disciples, uh, and a, a lot of folks that were maybe interested but would follow later or interested but would become his enemies later. Uh, no small measure of Pharisees were there. So he, there's all sorts of people there. So why would he keep going and, and, and talking about these things, these things that he knows would get him killed? I mean, some of the things he's going to say in here, he's building up his enemy base. And it's not going to be pretty. Why does he keep doing that? And it's all because of love. It's all because of love. His love for them, his love for you, because he's building the foundation of the church. What he builds in this place, in this passage, and in the gospel, is what we live out today. So what he's doing here is for our benefit here in 2022. I'm reminded of a time in in France. Uh, We're living in a little village called Lantilly outside of Lyon. And uh, Sandy had gone to the, uh, we'll call it a grocery store. It makes a Walmart super center look small, though. Um, she had gone to the grocery store in Lyon, and she's on her way back. It was the fall of the year. I remember because the, uh, the sun was going down sooner. It was already dark. The leaves were off the trees. Uh, she's, she's been gone a long time, and I'm beginning to get concerned about her. This was before the age of, of GPS and automobiles. And she calls me on the phone. She says, I am lost. I have no idea where I am. And I'm thinking, well, there's street signs. There's, you know, there's, you know, lights. There's buildings all around. Well, no, there's not. Because she has gone down a little farm road, taken a wrong turn. And she is at the end of a dirt road in the middle of nowhere. Being a husband, I'm immediately a little concerned, right? And she's saying, help me get home. Help me get home. And so I, I open up the, the map on the, the kitchen table, uh, and I've got it unfold. And I, and I tell her, I say, so what can you see? What can you see with your eyes? What are, your, what, what are the markers? That, what can you see? And she says, well, in the distance, I can see um, the, the large building in the center of Lyon. We call it the pencil. Uh, what, I can see that, and it's off to my left. Well, that tells me a lot. It tells me that, you know, she's north of that anyway. And, and so then I said, well, what else can you see? And she says, well, I can't see it, but I can hear. I can hear the auto route to my right. That tells me something. I said, anything else? No, I can't see anything else. It's just a farmhouse in the distance. It's all dark, kind of spooky. But I've got a map. What father, what husband, knowing that his wife is lost, if he knows the way home, what husband would not tell her how to get home? Right? Jesus knows the way home for his disciples, and he knows the way home for you and me. Wouldn't he tell us how to get home? 
including if there was a warning that needed to be given, like don't go to that farmhouse and knock on the door. Of course. So I tell her, you know, we'll follow this road, turn around, go back this way. And, and so she did, and she, you know, she made it home um, safely with all the groceries. Um, in this passage, that's what Jesus is doing. He's giving us a couple of warnings. But he's also reminding us, this is how you get home. This is the heart of the matter. He's going to give us a wide road, a wide gate, uh, a narrow road or a narrow gate. And then we're going to look at the continuing journey for a bit. The wide road, your translation might put it that way. Another translation, the ESV puts it a wide gate, uh, a wide way. Uh, it's, um, it's everything else. Jesus knows that he's looking at his disciples and, and those that might be his disciples and those that might be his enemies. And he's saying to them, there is a narrow way. There's one way. Jesus tells us later, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but through me. He knows there's one way, one gate, one road. Everything else fits on the other road. There are only two roads, two gates. That's it. That's it. Two. There's a narrow gate and there's a wide gate. Jesus is going to open up the wide gate for, for them. He, he tells them, enter by the narrow gate for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter by it are many. Many are on that road, many are on that gate. So, in this place, it's either Jesus plus something or Jesus is left off entirely, which is what fits on, on that way, on that gate. The result is the same because it's a, uh, we live in a world that's a Jesus plus something kind of world uh, or a world that says, hey, it's not just Jesus plus nothing, but it's Jesus left off altogether. And that's, that's the, the world that's easy. That's the world that's acceptable. The Jesus only gate is a hard gate and it's a hard road. He said, for the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life and those who find it are few. Let's look at three different um, types of things that are, are ways that are included, lanes I suppose we could call it, that are on this road and walking through, through this gate. The first one is an easy or casual religion. An easy or a casual religion. You know, it might be what we refer to maybe in, uh, uh, jokingly in the past, uh, C&E, Senior Christians, um, Christians that show up on church on, on Christmas and Easter, you know that, you might put it that way. I had a friend of mine that was a Catholic, and he said, yeah, I showed up uh, at, uh, at church when I, was, um, when I was baptized, when I was confirmed, when I was married, and the next time will be the day I die. I'm like, George, <laughs> we got to talk, buddy. <laughs> um, there, there's there's got to be more to our life than just an easy, casual uh, religion. Another way to put that might, uh, might be um, cultural Christianity. Cultural Christianity, so Christianity that fits within the culture that you live in. So you change cultures and you, you gravitate towards the Christianity that fits within that particular culture. Uh, SBNR, spiritual but not religious, is one of the growing trends in our culture and our country and around the world, really spiritual but not religious. So you've got this, this casual Christianity that shows up Sometimes, I don't mean shows up to church, I mean shows up in a relationship with Jesus Christ just every now and then in a casual sort of, let me brush up against you, Jesus kind of thing. It's not really a part of your identity, part of who you are. Maybe that's the road that you're on. And you feel like something's missing, you're not satisfied 
with where you are in your relationship with Christ. You're not satisfied with what's going on in your world. Maybe it's because you're really just living that casual, easy Christianity kind of lifestyle and, and heart. You brush up against Jesus every now and then, say, hey, God, and you go on about your life. That's not going to satisfy you because your, your, your soul isn't meant to be satisfied with that. Your soul is meant to be satisfied with something so much deeper. You're made to have deep, intimate fellowship with the Lord. And when you just brush up against it, well, that's like, kind of like being married and just brushing up against your spouse once a week or once every other week or once every few weeks. It's going to be a pretty rocky relationship, isn't it? Of course it is. And Jesus is no different. There's an easier casual religion. The there's another one that uh, we might call a performance religion. You would have seen it with your, your Pharisees in, in, the, in the Old Testament and, and in the New Testament as well. Um, the thing is that just as, just as um, this casual, easy religion could be called cultural Christianity, performance religion can also be called cultural Christianity. It depends on your culture. You grow up in some cultures and everybody's doing the same thing and it's, and it's all performance that if you act this way and do these things, then God will honor you, God will owe you, and God will give you life. Um, performance, Christianity. Um, it's a gate that could look more narrow even than Jesus intended. It might look that way. It's Jesus has given us this gate, but we're going to make it even more narrow and say these are the things that you have to do. And those people that don't measure up in this way, they can't be a part of this kingdom. They can't go through this gate. It looks extra narrow, but it's actually very wide. It's very wide because it has created a way for a person to control the outcome. And so it's created a way where, where we can create a God that's made in our image, you see. We talked about that last week. I encourage you to go back and listen to that. So it looks narrow, it looks like you're in control, it might looks like, look like you're, you're really, really ultra-religious and you're a super Christian. But the reality is it's, it's, it's extremely wide because you made yourself out to be God. Maybe you're feeling the frustration of that. You know, for us early, um, early in our parenting journey, we wanted so desperately to be great parents. I mean, who doesn't, right? Who wants to be, who raises their hand when they have their first child and say, I want to be an awful parent. It's my goal in life. No, we, I want to be great parents, right? And so, you know, we read the books, went to the conferences, went to the seminars, and then the next year seminars, bought all the books. You know, we're going to be great parents. And, and what we did is we became great Pharisees and we were raising up little Pharisees. And it was horrid. And, and thankfully, our children are very forgiving. And um, we, God took us away from that a couple of decades ago. I'm so thankful for that. Um, but we want to be solid, good Christians, right? We're everything that God asks of us. Well, in a moment, Jesus is going to warn us about false prophets because there are false prophets that will come to you and say, look, if you really want to serve Christ, you've got to go the extra mile. If you really want to do this, you've got to do it this way. If you really want to be a godly individual, you've got to take these 10 steps. If you really want to be a good parent, you've got to do it that way. It's a Jesus plus something else 
type of Christianity. Jesus plus success, Jesus plus being a great parent, Jesus plus wealth, Jesus plus morality, Jesus plus the right political party, Jesus plus, Jesus plus, Jesus plus. My friends, it's Jesus alone or it's Jesus nothing. It will leave you frustrated in despair, grasping for control, because if you don't perform, then you fail at this version of Christianity that you have created and others have created for you. That's the false prophets that will continue to pull you into that. So there's an easy casual religion, there's a performance religion, there's a no boundaries at all uh, kind of religion. And, and that's also something that's growing in, in, our, in our culture. Uh, it's, it's something that's where no one's even pretending. I remember when we were um, raising support to go to France, uh, a woman in our church came up to me and, and she said, hey, great news. My husband and I are going to support you for $200 a month. I thought, wow, that's awesome. Uh, and and my, my, my two sons, my adult sons, are going to support you each for $200 a month and some out of their business. I'm like, really? Sweet. Do I know your sons? And she says, yes, your fraternity brothers with them at Auburn. I'm like, I was? Yeah, and she told me what their names were. And, I, and uh, open mouth, insert foot time. I said, Really? When did they become believers? Oh. And she said, they've always been believers. I thought, uh-oh. Huge disconnect between parents and children. Um, they had been great pretenders at home. But they walk out of the home, but the pretending had stopped. It stopped. They had become believers since then. Praise God. I'm thankful for that. Sometimes we go through life, though, and we're pretending. We're playing a game. We're just playing a game, folks, because we think it's what's expected of us by our spouse, our parents, our children, our culture. Uh, I remember a, a friend came to me at, uh, uh, at a church that I was a part of uh, in Birmingham, and um, I, I greeted him. It was so good to see him. I hadn't seen him in a while. And, and, uh, I said, so, and I asked him the same question. I said, so um, what's got you here? And he said, well, I thought this would be a great church for me to be a part of. I said, wow, tell me more about this faith that's been growing in your heart. And he said, oh, it's not that. I'm an attorney in town, and my boss told me that to get great business, I needed to be a part of a great church. I'm like, oh, oh, my friend. Well, that friend has also become a believer since then, so I'm very thankful for that. Um, but there, there's this pretending kind of thing where we just, we, we have no real boundaries in our life. We have no sense of who God is, no sense of who we are in Christ, who he is in us. We're not who our mothers think we are, who our boss thinks we are, who our church thinks we are. We're somebody totally different. Still, in all of these places, in all of these places, with all of these individuals, and maybe you're there, on this wide road, Jesus pursues. Jesus always, always, always pursues. He's coming after you like the hound of heaven because of his intense love for you. Why would he keep doing that? Well, he keeps doing that. He keeps giving us these, these warnings because he wants us to avoid the wide road and step into the narrow gate because that's where the peace is. That's where Jesus is. In uh, 2002, I was building a table, a dining room table. We still use it today. It's a big farm table. Some of you have sat at that farm table. 
Uh, I was building that farm table, and um, I, I know all the rules. I know the, the safety guidelines. I knew that I was supposed to have safety glasses on, right? You never work with wood without safety glasses on. And yet somehow I just was living like Narcissus. I thought that the rules didn't apply to me. And so the safety glasses are over there, and I'm just sanding away with a belt sander. La, 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 la. And splinter flies up against my eye. That was absolutely the most painful injury I've ever had in my life. In my life. And the, the pain of having the doctor pull that splinter out uh, without numbing medicine. He said, well, well, if I numb it, it's going to be a shot in your eye. I might as well just take one out rather than put one in. Okay. Why do we think that the warnings don't apply to us? Why do we think that? Why do we think that we're like Narcissus? That we can just avoid all that. They do apply to us. And God keeps giving us to th th these warnings again and again and again simply because of his love. Not to make your life miserable or hard or to make you reach for the safety glasses. But because of his love for you. He keeps pursuing. That's what love does. Remember his mission statement? Jesus said, I came to seek and to save those that are lost. He doesn't want us lost at the end of a dirt road looking at a dark farmhouse in the middle of the night in a foreign country. He wants his home. He wants his home. He wants his home with him. Home is wherever we are with Christ. He refers to himself as the Lord of the harvest. He intends for there to be a great harvest, but that harvest enters through the narrow gate, and Jesus is the narrow gate. In this place, he's building a foundation, and he's telling his disciples this foundation of the church goes through this narrow gate. There is no other way. We look at the Sermon on the Mount, and it's, again, it's, just, it's one big sermon. It's not to be taken in little bits and pieces like you would as you go through a sermon series, which that's what we've done, but um, we have to take it as one big, big thing. And like you look at the Beatitudes, the Beatitudes is, a, is an expression of how we come to know Christ. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those other words that are, that are humble enough to see their need for Jesus Christ, and they run to him and him alone for hope. Blessed are, are the, those that hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. There's a narrow gate, and Christ and Christ alone is the one that, that satisfies us. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are, are, other, blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is, is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Now, if his disciples are remembering everything that he said, you know, just an hour or so before he's going through this sermon, they're thinking, wait a minute. You told us a little while ago that if we keep hanging with you, we're going to be persecuted. I don't want to be persecuted. And here you're telling us that there isn't another way. That there is no wide way out of this. There is a narrow gate. Jesus, are you sure there isn't another way? And Jesus tells them again, there is only one way. There is a narrow gate. A narrow gate that brings you into the kingdom of God. He takes them to the heart of the matter. Outside of performance Christianity, performance religion, he says you're the salt of the, the earth. You're the light of the world. It's not just have you ever murdered anyone, but have you ever been angry 
at someone. It's not just, have you ever committed adultery, but have you ever looked at someone with, with lust in your heart? It's not just these things, but it's your heart, the heart of the matter. It's not just that you put up with your enemies or that you love those that love you. Do you love your enemies? Jesus is taking it down deep into the heart of the matter, past the outward stuff. He teaches them how to pray. He teaches them how to lay up treasures in heaven and, and not build up the stuff of earth because the stuff of earth will not satisfy and does not ever fit through the narrow gate. He teaches them how to ask, to seek, to knock, and to keep asking and to keep seeking and to keep knocking. So this, this narrow way lays out the gospel of Jesus Christ. He lays it out in the Sermon on the Mount that the object of your faith has to be Christ and Christ alone. The way of your faith is grace. You can't earn it. The fruit of your faith is crucial. You'll be known by your fruit. You look at the first part of that. We speak to the narrow gate, the wide gate. And you think, well, this is just about how you come into Christ. But it really is more than that. It's not only how you come into Christ, but it's how you continue in Christ. As he warns them next, that there will be false prophets that will be coming in the door, seeking to draw you away from me. We look at the, uh, um, the rest of the New Testament after the Gospels. You see the, the writers of the Gospels, whether it's Peter or, or James or, or John, or the writers of the, I'm sorry, the, the rest of the letters of the New Testament, Peter, James, John, Paul, often what they're doing is warning the culture then and now about false prophets. And the false prophecies or the false teachings that they would come up against then are the same false teachings that you and I come up against now. And Jesus is very kind to continue to warn us of those. He said, beware of false prophets. The thing is our, our culture then, our culture now has very little space for a prophet that only bears the fruit of Christ, right? Christ alone. And yet that's where Christ takes us and takes our people. It's easy for us to get stuck in this downward spiral of appeasing others and appeasing those that we seek uh, when we seek their approval in order to give them what they want rather than giving Christ all of our worship and praise and honor. It's enticing to build a, a life and a worldview apart from Jesus because it leaves us in some, some ridiculous uh, sense of control that we're in charge of our life. So we build it apart from him. But as he told us previously, we can't serve two masters. It's enticing, but it's not something that we can live in. There are two gates and there are two fruits. There's two trees You'll be known by the fruit of your life. My friends, what fruit is your life producing? We had a tree in our backyard in another home in another state. And um, uh, the owner of the house that we, we got the house from, they said it was a fruit tree. No, there were two trees. They said one's a peach tree and one's an apple tree. That's what it was. And I thought, okay, I have no idea which one's which. I mean, I do now because now I've got an app on my phone. I can go, you know, take a picture of the tree and the bark and the leaf, and I know what it is. But I didn't know that. I mean, I grew up on a lake in, in East Alabama where the only tree you had was, um, was pine trees. 
But I, I didn't know what kind of tree was, you know, which was which, which was peach, which was, was apple. You know what I knew? When they began to produce fruit that summer. And even then for a little while, I couldn't tell the difference. <laughs> You're known by your fruit. What fruit is your life producing? Well, the fruit isn't something you can buy off the shelf. Paul later on is going to talk about this fruit. He's going to talk about the fruit of the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. But is that love only the love that you give to those that you really like? Or is it love that you would give to your enemies? The peace, is it a peace that you only have in your life when things are going great? Or is it a peace that's a part of who you are even when things are, things are rough? The joy, is the joy there only when you're happy and wealthy and successful? Or is it a joy that's there when, well, you find yourself all alone? The fruit of the Spirit is not contingent upon our circumstances. The fruit of the Spirit is contingent upon the Holy Spirit who lives in the believers. You'll be known by your fruit. One more big question. Much of what Jesus has taught us in the Sermon on the Mount could, could get him killed and, in fact, will take him in that direction. Why would he say it all? And why would he leave, lead his followers to do the same? Well, it's because of his love, his sacrificial love for you. Hebrews 12 tells us, For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning his shame, and sat down at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. The joy that was set before him was the joy of a reunion with his father and a reunion and a union with those that, that were his brothers and sisters, their co-heirs with Jesus Christ. Why would he lead his disciples to do the same? 2 Corinthians 5, for the love of Christ controls us because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, and that for all have died. And he died for all, that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. Aside from prayer, I think the very greatest privilege we have is just getting to walk with Jesus. You are not alone. Father, I pray that you'd help us to walk with you. Lord, continuing in prayer, moment by moment, day by day, week by week, forever. Father, this world is not our home. The next one is, we are pilgrims passing through. But Father, while we are pilgrims here on this earth, Lord, I pray that you'd help us to produce fruit that brings you honor and glory. Lord, that you would so work in us your will that others are pointed to Jesus, that others come to know you and you're glorified. Father, if there's anyone here this morning or listening that has never met you, Father, I pray that even now they would run to the love of Jesus Christ, that you would open up their hearts, Lord, and they would say to you, Lord God, be my God. Forgive me of my sin. Take my life, I'm yours. Lord, I pray that you would transform them, that you would transform us all 
by your magnificent grace and for your glory in Jesus. Amen. Would you stand with us and sing? place this morning, greet each other with the love of the Lord Jesus Christ and receive this benediction. May the love of God the Father